is for you guys, uh, but there are certain songs that seem to evoke emotion, and um, I become kind of like a wet noodle, (laughs) and that's one of them, and uh, in Christ alone, and uh, when I think about the lyrics, when I try and, I can't even sing the lyrics, I just first, I mean, I can't even talk about it, and I start bawling like a baby, so... uh, thankful tonight for our great salvation. I trust you are. And, um, you know, in 2016, I know for me, for my family, our prayer is that we would just be drawn to the foot of the cross, that we would fall fresh in love with Jesus and um, grow in relationship, grow in the newness and the life-giving, just the life-giving spirit of God. And so uh, I pray that it's that kind of year for all of us, and really that it's daily, that we just saturate ourselves in his presence, in his word, in his grace, in his mercy, in his love, in his peace, in his goodness, is so good. Praise God. Well, we are uh, embarking into 30 days of prayer. We're technically 10 days in, but we didn't have service on the 3rd because of the <clears throat> snowmageddon. <laughs> and uh, so some may be a little bit behind, but we want to invite you to be in prayer with us through this entire month. We are, we are praying very, very specifically for family needs and all of those kinds of things that would be in our normal prayer uh, conversations with the Lord. Uh, but very specifically, we're remembering our missionary families that are on both foreign soils as well as could be even in local ministries here that we are supporting. Today, very specifically, we're praying for Freedom House. Freedom House is a great ministry. Uh, Jim Cottrell is the founder of the ministry. He's been involved with uh, this kind of ministry for, I want to say, 35 to 40 years. I know when I first came to Portland some 32 years ago, uh, Teen Challenge was already running, and he was he was the one behind all of the uh, working there. And uh, it's just been a great ministry associated with helping men and women of all ages, even though uh, Teen Challenge started off with teens, and from from Teen Challenge, Freedom House has branched out. Uh, and the, things happened, uh, and about, I want to say, 11 or 12 years ago, Freedom House was launched over in Vancouver. Uh, but what it, the real work of the ministry there is helping men and women overcome addiction. And uh, there are very many and numerous types of addictions, uh, and God is working with these excellent uh, men and women to uh, help others overcome addiction. And the beauty is the power of God works. And men and women are, men and women are being delivered from the bondage of sin. I want to suggest to you that the latest statistics 
uh, Teen Challenge, where it was as high as like 84%. And I'm not certain where Freedom House's statistics are, but I want to suggest to you they're probably right in that same arena, 84% success rate in overcoming addiction. It's unheard of in any secular from rehab, which this is not rehab. What this is is intensive discipleship. It's one, it's someone walking alongside another and raising the bar, inspiring and teaching how to overcome in this life temptation and to walk in victory. 84% success rate. That's massive. We're talking about heroin addicts. We're talking about all kinds of drug, alcohol, and you name it, it's there. And the power of God, deliverance. So praise God. So I want to just pray for them right now. And uh, will you just join with me? So Father, we thank you for the call of God upon the hearts and lives of men and women who have risen to the occasion to uh, minister in this capacity, Lord, in an increasing measure, it's a needed ministry. And so, Lord, we are thankful and we are praying, God, for your supply, your provision, your resourcing, your anointing, God, your giftings. And, Lord, for volunteers to come alongside those who are involved in the ministry there at Freedom House. I thank you for Jim Cottrell and his wife and their family. We are asking, God, for your blessing And Lord, will you supply and provide for all of their needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And God, we give you thanks for what you're doing. We pray for the men that are there even now, Father. We pray, God, for the courage and the tenacity and the, and the strength to say no. Your word says that, that it's the grace of God that brings salvation uh, to all men that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions in this present age. Oh, Lord, will you help these men to say no to the ungodliness and the worldly passions Lord, in where there's been addiction in their lives, God, will you bring deliverance and freedom in the name of Jesus, breaking every chain, breaking every chain that has held men fast to sin. So, Lord, we, we, just, we bring these men before you. We pray for this ministry. We pray, God, for our missionaries that are there working day in and day out and walking the walk with these men. So God be glorified. Thank you for them. And we ask your blessing in Jesus name. And everyone said a strong amen. Amen. If you didn't get a copy of our 30 day, I think it actually was 28 days total uh, prayer calendar. And remember from January 3rd through January 7th, because you didn't have those, only a handful of folks had those. We're just taking that week and we're tagging it on at the end of January. So we'll, we'll really go into uh, February. Um, And I just want to encourage you also in January as we're um, inspiring and trying to uh, encourage folks to spend some additional time in prayer in your normal prayer life, I want to also invite you in your normal Bible reading that you would engage in not only reading the Scripture, but you would engage in meditating on the Scripture, memorizing the Scripture. 
uh, I, I am enjoying immensely with our interns. Uh, we get together every Tuesday and we have a number of scriptures that we are memorized from the previous week. And so we have to recite those verses. And uh, if the guys don't have them, we have to draw from the hat. It's the penalty hat, right? And in the penalty hat is things that we don't want to eat. And we, ha- we get to watch each other eat those things. <laughs> so it's this little motivation to have your scriptures memorized. Anyway, whatever, whatever it takes, it's, we, we're just making it fun. But want to inspire you to be involved in not only reading the Bible, studying the Bible, but meditating on the Bible, medit- or memorizing the Word of God, and obeying the Word of God. Five things that will really transform your faith. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the... Word of God, right? Romans 10. So I uh, encourage you in that way. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, which I trust you do, will you open your Bibles with me to Revelation? We've been, we've had somewhat of a hiatus from our Sunday evening verse by verse study because we've had a number of things happening. Uh, through the Christmas season, we had the children's Christmas play. We had one Sunday evening where there was no Sunday evening service, and it was you know the last Sunday of the uh, month, and it was kind of that holiday time. And so we uh, scheduled not uh, we scheduled no service, and then we had last Sunday evening where there was the snow, and so we had no. Or I say snow; it was like this white dust on the ground. Anyway, uh, no service. So let me let me buy. What's that? <laughs> well, that is true. <laughs> That's not why, but that is true. And that was, it was like the little bonus or something. I don't know. Anyway, uh, yeah. And, you know, for those, for those of you who were in service this morning and you saw Angelica Hayes in all of her Minnesota Viking gear, and then you, if you happen to see the outcome of that game, it was, uh, for you Seahawk fans, it was a good outcome for the Minnesota Viking fans. So I had just arrived. We had a lunch with uh, Dwayne and Molly Kelly and a group over at Amanda Salmons. And uh, I had just got there, and I didn't even realize I was standing in front of Dwayne as I was talking to him. He's like, hey, final play of the game. They're kicking to win the game. I step back, and I look, and I go, oh, wow, Minnesota's going to win. Shank. Oh, no, the hazes just fell apart. <laughs> so that's pretty funny. Uh, so Dennis and Jill showed up a little later, and I, I just got up, and I hugged my brother very quietly. He just said, sorry about that. Anyway, uh, it's just a sport. Um, well, let me, by way, of, by way of review, the book of Revelation, uh, again, it is, it is the only book of the 66 books that comes with a blessing to those who read it, to those who hear it, to those who keep the words that are contained within it. And so to us, when we read, we're receiving blessing from the Lord. When we hear the words, and I want to encourage you as you read the Word of God, a great way to read the Word of God is to read the Word of God out loud. So when you're in your quiet place or your prayer closet, when you read the Word of God, read out loud. Not only will you be... uh, using more sensory perception, you're hearing the Word of God. And that that hearing, it's both at the ear and it's at the heart level, if you will. Um, Revelation is also the only book of 66 books that comes with its divine outline. And so we find in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19, uh, John on the island of Patmos was inspired by God the Holy Spirit to uh, write these things down. Jesus himself says, write the things which thou hast seen, the things that are and the things that will take place hereafter. And so we have three divisions in the word of God. We find that the things which thou hast seen is Revelation chapter 1. 
What did John see? He saw the resurrected, glorified Son of God, Jesus Christ, Messiah, and he was in his glorified state. So he wrote and gave us this magnificent description of our risen, glorified Savior. Chapter 2 and chapter 3, the things which are. And we've talked many, many times, there's probably four, if not more, applications. One of the applications that we look at is that these seven letters to seven churches are prophetic in nature and seem to give a chronology of the history of the church age, which we presently are living in the church age. And we would believe and believe that the scripture would point that we are living in the latter days of the church age, commonly known as the last days. And so we would say we're likely in that Laodicean period of or epic of church history, the last epic of the seven. So these seven letters give a picture, if you will, of the history of the church. Uh, Lots of other applications, one very specifically that these churches existed and what Jesus had to say about them was very specific and very specific to them. In addition to that, we believe that they're panoramic. Each of the letters are written to all of the church, and so the words that are contained in here apply to all of the church, our church. What is the application within our church? The Spirit says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church or church is and so um there's the application there and then there's that personal application what is the spirit of god saying to me very specifically let me turn that off uh what is the spirit of god saying to you very specifically so there is that very personal application as well and so As we looked at chapters 2 and 3, we saw not only those applications, but certainly that chronology of the history of the church. And we moved forward into chapter 4. Chapter 4 seems, again, to be another place of transition. So we went from that section 1, the things which are, or excuse me, the things which I was seen, to the second section, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, the things that are, and then we moved into Revelation chapter 4, which begins with those Greek words, metatauta, or hereafter, or after these things, and so we have a picture again in chapter 4 of what we would call the rapture of the church, the snatching away of the church, where we find the church is now in heaven, and we have this picture, and the Spirit of God is in heaven, And the next two chapters, chapter 4 and chapter 5, we see the church in heaven. And some interesting things unfold. We're introduced to a scroll. A scroll that has seven seals on it. And so there was no one found worthy to break the seals of the scroll. There was no one found worthy to take the scroll. And we find that John weeps bitterly Because there was no one worthy to open the scroll. We also would interpret that this scroll is, if you will, the title deed to the earth. It is the redemption of mankind. And so John, weeping bitterly, recognizing that if there's no redemption, all men are destined 
to spend eternity in hell. And one of the elders said, John, weep not, for behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. And the scripture tells us that John looked, and what he saw was a lamb that had been slain since the foundation of the earth. And he was found worthy. And we know this is Jesus Christ, the one who was found worthy. And he took the scroll from the one seated on the throne. And so that gets us up through Revelation chapter 5. And so we come to Revelation chapter 6, and we've covered Revelation chapter 6 on a Sunday morning, and now we're going to be picking up in Revelation chapter 6 uh, in verse 1. And we're, we're up to speed. The scroll has been taken. And now the seals are going to begin to be broken. Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, he who sat on it, had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he had opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked. And behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death. And Hades followed with him, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth, to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. Now, what we have is the four horsemen of the apocalypse. We've covered these. In fact, I believe where we ended was uh, detailing out much of the, the four horsemen portion in these first four seals but i thought what we would do just review if there are any questions we'll try and cover those questions and then we'll move forward into the fifth seal so the first seal key to note john says i saw this event take place that tells us that when john was on the island of patmos that somehow supernaturally god brought him as he was caught up into heaven he was projected if you will into the future he's seeing a future event transpire he's seeing it ahead of time that's absolutely miraculous and it gives a picture of god's omniscience he is all knowing he's all powerful and he is able in fact he sees all of time because he is outside of time and so it he he sees the panoramic if you will he knows the end from the 
beginning. That's what the Word of God said. And so John now is able to see the events happening. It says, when he, he saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals and heard one of the four living creatures uh, saying with that voice like thunder, come and see. And so the come could even be, it, it, the, the translation of that word can be also go forth. So the living creature may, in fact, be speaking to the rider and the horse saying, go forth, and John simply saying, I see what is transpiring as, as, a, as this unfolds. It could be also, hey, John, move forward and be able to observe what is transpiring here. But nevertheless, he looked, and behold, the white horse. He who sat on it had a bow. And a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. And so we went into some detail about who the rider of this horse is. It's a white horse, and many have interpreted this. Many theologians have interpreted that this is Christ. But where is Christ? Christ is the one who is holding the scroll and breaking the seals. And we would note that uh, he is wearing a crown, but it is a Stephanos crown, where Christ is wearing a diadem. We find Christ is wearing a ruler's crown, not a victor's crown, if you will. And so the rider of this horse, many, myself included, would believe that this is, in fact, the Antichrist. This is the one, this is the instead of Christ. And he's going out to conquer and conquering. And we looked a couple of weeks back into the book of Daniel, and we find that Daniel reminds us that the uh, Antichrist is going to be making a peace covenant with the nation Israel. And we find that this particular writer is going out conquering and to conquer, and what he has in his hand is a bow. Now, it's likely that the bow that is referred to here, if we Looking at rules of interpretation, we would go back to the first mention of the bow. Again, that first mention of the bow we talked about is in Genesis when God put his bow or rainbow in the sky, and it is a sign or a token of a covenant. And so it's very possible that this rider is going forth, conquering it to conquer, and he's doing it with a covenant. Daniel reminds us that it is a peace covenant that he will be making with many. And in that portion of Daniel, it says it is an enforced covenant. It's an enforced covenant. So it may be not even agreed upon, yet enforced by the Antichrist. And so we would find uh, the first rider, the first seal, uh, going forth, conquering and to conquer. The second seal, when he opened the second seal, uh, again, the voice of the second living creature, those same words, come and see. And the fiery red horse goes out. This fiery red horse, it says, was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. This is many would give the title to the rider of this horse as war, war. The fiery red horse is maybe indicative of blood, uh, and there is going to be uh, war. He's taking peace from the earth, taking peace from the earth. Now, I'm certainly mindful because 
2 Thessalonians reminds us that there is the lawless one who is presently being restrained. The one who restrains him is the Holy Spirit. But at this day, the Holy Spirit will have been taken away, and therefore that lawlessness and war and lack of peace and all of those things, there will be the freedom for that reign. I believe it will be a scary day on the face of the earth during those days. When you think about what's transpiring presently on the earth, you need not look very far to see the devastation of man left to his own devices. Man left to his own devices, really out of the wickedness of one's own heart, there is violence. We find that in Genesis, when the days prior to the Noatic flood, there was nothing but violence in the heart of man. And it is, it is a tragic condition. You can read, in fact, I was listening to a uh, message recently uh, uh, of a brother who was literally reading the newspaper and the uh, Fox News of all of the things that were happening in the world. And he was going beyond Fox News. He was getting some stuff from the Israeli News or the Israeli Post. I can't remember which one it was, Jerusalem Post maybe it was. And he was just reading all of the things that were going on in the world. And this was less than a month ago. And the devastation that man inflicts already upon man, upon his brother his fellow humanity and just unconscionable to hear all of the different things that were happening and this represented one day if you will out of 365 of 2015 and that goes on every day and there's one restraining presently when the one restraining has been removed and it is given power to men to kill one another the devastation is going to be horrific thanks be to god for those who have faith in the lord jesus christ we will be watching i mean we don't want to watch necessarily and see but we're going to see it from the balcony if you will in heaven we're not going to be here and so here's the inspiration what does that mean to you and i when we hear these words when we hear and we read these realities my prayer for all of us and my own, even my own heart, what, what is preventing me from spreading the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? What stops us as the body of Christ knowing these things? Peter tells us that the elements are going to melt with fervent heat. All things are going to be destroyed. This world and the things of this world are passing away. He says, knowing these things, what manner of men ought we to be in holy conduct? What matter of man? Knowing these things, what matter of evangelist ought I be? Ought we be? We ought to be those who are throwing roadblocks out in front of people's lives. You're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. Now, I'm not one who necessarily endorses movies, but I do have a classic favorite, 
And I would encourage you, if you ever watch this movie, get the television version. It's the right version. But there's a scene in the movie, planes, trains, and automobiles. Sorry, I went there. Anyway, there's a scene where they're driving the wrong way on the freeway. Here's John Candy and Steve Martin. And they're driving this car. It's been decimated. And a car comes up alongside of them on the other side of the freeway, going the same direction that they are. That should be the first clue. There's a divider between us, and we're both driving the same way. And the driver, they're doing like 60 miles an hour. He's rolled his window down, and he's going, you're going the wrong way. And he's yelling it. And Steve Martin's driving, and he's looking over, and he's looking at John Kenny, saying, what is he saying? And John Kenny's like, you know, oh, he's just drinking, or he's doing something, you know, trying to be funny about it. But there's a very real picture of people driving 60 miles an hour headlong into devastation. They're climbing a hill, and the, the guy, you're going the wrong way, you're going the wrong way. It kind of goes on and on, and they're doing like this little stuff back and forth. And as they come up to the peak, these two semi-trucks come over, and Steve Martin's car is headed right for those two. Well, in the movie, of course, he makes it right in between, takes the side mirrors off and so forth and so on. But I, that, that word picture or that, that uh, video clip reminds me we're the guy on the other side and we need to catch up in parallel speed with them in some cases and we need to be screaming out the window you're going the wrong way you're going the wrong way because we ought not want anyone to be here during these days during these days you have loved ones i have loved ones you have neighbors i have neighbors god help us to be inspired when we read the word of god that it compels us that it compels us. Remember, Jesus has said, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They're white unto harvest. They're white unto harvest. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his field. Oh God, send laborers. Lord, send me. I'm a laborer. Send us. We're laborers. Let's go out into his harvest field and let's plant, let's water, let's reap together. Okay, let's, let's keep moving. All right, so verse 5, And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales, and in its hand, uh, in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and a, and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. This third horse, black and his rider. Black is a color biblically that is associated with famine. You'd see that in the book of Levit- Leviticus. So most would identify this rider as famine. And certainly, when we hear the statement in verse 6, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius, in Israel's history, whenever there was a metering out of resource, that is, it's indicative of a lack of that resource. Here's the interesting thing. Do you know that in food production across the globe, the, the very thing that prevents food from distribution has nothing to do with the amount of food available. 
It always has something to do on a political level. It's politics that have prevented food from its distribution. Whatever is transpiring here, there's famine. That means there is a lack of availability of the resources that are here. Something is going on on a political level, likely, or something has transpired. But nevertheless, famine, lack of food. So we're seeing death. We're seeing famine. And the result of these two is going to be what we see in the fourth horseman. When he opened the fourth seal, verse 7, I heard of the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. Uh, the pale here is chlorus, is the word, chlorus. We get our English word chlorine from it, and it really is a putrid green horse. Putrid green And it goes on to say, uh, and the name of him who sat on it was death, and Hades followed with him. It's interesting to note that uh, death takes the body, Hades takes the soul. They're a pair, and they ride in tandem. And here we find these two riding in tandem. Hades followed with him, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. A fourth of the earth. A fourth of humanity. For us to wrap ourselves around this, and we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, but even if today, on today, today's statistics, today's numbers, on the earth... 7 billion? Are we at 7 billion? Are we above 7 billion? What is the number? Well, it's close. How many are believers that will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air? Well, we don't know those numbers. If we, if, if we thought large, I mean, we'd like to think it was a couple billion, uh, but it might only be a billion. It might be less than a billion. It could be more. But nevertheless, they'll be gone. What remains? Well, uh, even if it was just 4 billion that remain, and maybe 3 billion got caught up, someone say hallelujah. That'd be great. That'd be great. If it was just 4 billion left, this rider and Hades who follows is given power for them over a fourth. 1 billion deaths. That is a number that is incomprehensible. It is the, the, just the sheer effort of burying bodies to get rid of bodies to stop pestilence, if you will. And it's very possible because when you look at this kill with sword and with hunger and with death and the beasts of the earth, when you think of beasts of the earth, what's the first thought that might enter into your mind something that would be a beast that could take the life of a human being you might start thinking well what about lions and tigers and bears oh my (laughs) we think on a larger scale but do you know some of the most devastating beasts on the face of the earth are microscopic and they travel through pestilence Certainly during, we, we, we have historical 
uh, knowledge of many outbreaks that have transpired uh, from microscopic things like the bubonic plague, the bite of a flea. A third of, I believe it was a third of all of Europe. I know certainly England, it was a third of the population during the Dark Ages that were wiped out by the bubonic plague. And so, massive destruction. Again, we look at this and we say, well, it's information. This is a future event. How does this apply in my life? Well, I have knowledge now. I understand that there is these future events. I don't plan on being here. I want to be caught up with that group that is snatched away. But what does the application for you and I, how, when we, when we recognize these things are going to be happening, how does it inspire you? How does it inspire me? Again, Lord, I don't want other people to be here during these events. I want to encourage you in 2016 to be actively engaged in sharing your faith. Now, I've encouraged our congregation to write your testimony out. Write your testimony out. What is it that the Lord did for you at that point of salvation? Who were you before you knew the Lord? How is it that you met the Lord? Or how did the Lord lay hold of you and save you? And who have you become as a result, what is God doing in your life? How is God bringing victory in your life? How are you falling deeper in love with the Lord? And I, I want to encourage you to write it in its totality. Then even take time, even in front of a mirror, time yourself how long it takes you to read your testimony. Then hone it down, hone it down, hone it down to where you can share your testimony in three minutes or less. Three minutes, because you may have the elevator experience. You get in the elevator, you walk inside, and you find the buttons, you turn and hit the buttons, and then just turn around and look at everybody. (laughs) Get eye contact with them. You have a captive audience. Why not share your faith? Why not tell someone about Jesus? What are they going to do? What's the worst they can do to you? Not listen? Laugh? Turn away? Start a conversation with someone else, tell you to shut up. I mean, really, what's the word? <laughs> Get them. <laughs> well, I've never had someone say that to me. <laughs> uh, nevertheless, nevertheless, you're going to have opportunity this week, remember. You're going to have opportunity this week to share your faith. Let, let the Word of God motivate you. Let the Word of God inspire you. Let the Word of God encourage you to be actively engaged. Remember the words of Jesus. Remember the words of Jesus. It's not those that are well that are in need of a doctor, but those that are sick. He says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. At 12 years old, Jesus said, Did you, do you not know that I must be about my Father's business? The Father's business is seeking and saving the lost. What about us? What about us? Okay, so... That's the first four seals, and we had looked at those. We've now I've taken a few moments to go a little bit more in depth. Let me simply ask right now: Is there would anybody have a question at this point? Is there a point of clarification that you'd be looking at, or shall we move to seal number five? Give you just a moment. Time's up. Okay, here we go. Verse nine. 
When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were, was completed. So, the fifth seal. Uh, if you have a study Bible, likely the heading above it says the cry of the martyrs, if you will. And this is the voice of the martyrs that are crying out from the altar. The souls of those that had been slain. And it's, it's noteworthy... Um, the, the Greek word martus... Uh, which we translate martyr, uh, is it's translated also as witness, witness. And they, they are witnesses, and it says they were slain for the word of God. Who is the word of God? John chapter 1, in John's gospel, he says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And verse 14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld the glory of the only begotten of God. This is Jesus. And so their witness for Jesus, their testimony of Christ, it was required of them their lives. And so here we hear their voices and they're crying out. So the question is, when were they converted? The rapture has transpired, and we don't have a timeline how quickly these seals are transpiring in terms of the delineation of time, but there are now believers on the earth after the rapture that apparently have given their hearts to the Lord, perhaps as a result of our testimony of the coming rapture of the church and they i missed it putting their faith in christ and there it is being it is being required of them their lives for their testimony and so it's interesting to note they cry with a loud voice saying how long O lord holy and true have you noticed that seems to be a question that men have lord how long Lord, how long? Lord, I'm sort of tired of waiting. And I, I mean, I know I just asked you for the first time about 12 minutes ago, but God, could you hurry up? Could you hurry up? We're very impatient, and we don't understand time as God understands time. And it really is interesting. Uh, Josh was telling me, we, we actually got to pray this, this morning about a situation, and by this afternoon, what we had asked the Lord to do, he did. And so tonight when I got here, Josh came up and just goes, epic. And I thought, oh, come on. And so he shared with me this great testimony. I thought, wow, God, that was fast. That was fast. And God is, he, he is answering our prayers, but our understanding sometimes of time, it, 
we, we get wires crossed and we're like, God, hurry, I've been asking. Many of us have been waiting for the Lord for years, for years. Don't be weary. Nancy, don't be weary, right? God's working. God's working. So let's not be weary. Let's continue. Remember, he gives us a contrasting parable and he refers to the unjust judge. And he refers to this woman asking for justice. And she continually comes before him. And the unjust, just, the unjust judge says, man, if nothing else, just to get her to stop coming, I'm going to grant her her request. And he says, how much more our father, who's not an unjust judge, but a just judge, we come and say, Lord. And he says, yes. And so I want to encourage you. He encourages us to ask and that ask would be uh, in a present form to ask and to keep asking. Ask and keep asking. Now we don't go into vain repetition in our prayers, but we ask the Lord. And we are sincere. And so we ask again, Lord help, Lord help, Lord help. And so I want to encourage you, don't give up. Remember the story of the gold miner. Remember the story of the gold miner. I'm sure I've told this before. Who purchased, sold everything he had and purchased a rights to a mine and literally invested everything he had dug 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 and dug further he dug all the way into this mine excavating the side of a mountain and when he had expended everything he had he gave up he had all the tools he had food for his stomach but he was weary and he gave up. He sold the mine and the rights to the mine. And the next guy dug less than a foot and hit the mother load. He had dug hundreds of feet looking for the gold vein. Never found it. Sold the mine one foot short. Listen, don't give up on your prayers. Don't give up asking the Lord. Endure, endure, right? Uh, joy is coming. Joy is coming. Now remember also, sometimes God answers our prayer and sometimes the answer is no. Remember, no is a valid answer from the Lord. And that just helps us realize that sometimes when God says no, we've just been asking amiss. Okay, so let the Lord, let the Holy Spirit also hone you and that we might be raised up and grow and mature in those areas. But here these are asking, how long, O oh Lord? holy and true, until you judge. I think that's also the nature of man. We want vengeance. We want justice. Those who have done us wrong, so to speak, we want retribution. And the heart of the people, hey, how long is it going to be before you judge? Avenge our blood, those who dwell on the earth. The beauty is a white robe was given to them, to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was complete here's the thing after the rapture of the church the testimony of the gospel will be going forth we're going to see in the very next chapter that there will be 144,000 that are going to be sealed uh 
men of Israel, if you will, Israelis, and they're going to be going forth and they're going to be like modern day Billy Grahams, if you will. They're going to be conveying the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gary, I'll get right to you. They're going to be conveying the gospel. In another place, we're going to discover that there is an angel that is going to be going to and fro, proclaiming the eternal gospel uh, in the heavens. And so uh, the gospel will be going forth, not to mention, again, our testimony that will be... that. Those that we have shared the good news with that didn't receive Christ, once we're gone, they're going to realize we were right and they will likely place their faith in the Lord. And so we find that there are going to be martyrs during those days. Gary. Yeah, it's, it's a conundrum. We don't, we don't know how it's going to be. We certainly know this, that the Holy Spirit who is dwelling in the believer, uh, as, as he's caught up, there is going to be some drawing that is happening. Will it be like it was in the days of the Old Testament? Well, the Spirit of God was moving across the surface of the earth, if you will, and he would come upon men at certain times. So how that's going to work, I don't have the picture, but we certainly know that it is, because here we're even told that there are going to be more that will be giving their lives for their testimony of Jesus Christ. And so we don't have all of the detail, but we certainly know. And here's the other piece. Here is the other piece. The word of God will still remain on the face of the earth. I have a friend of mine who's a builder. He builds houses And every house he builds, in the walls, he leaves Bibles. In the walls, he leaves tracts and instructions in precarious places that are behind the sheetrock. Because we don't know what's going to happen in those days. And people might be raiding houses and doing, we just, we have, there there will be some lawlessness that is occurring. And there will be people who will find those materials. Someone will find your Bible. Someone will read because God uses all things. And so how will he draw the men at that time? He certainly knows how he's going to do it. We may not have all those pictures, but we know men will make profession of Christ during the days of Daniel's 70th seven and certainly those tribulation days. Yeah, that I, that I can't answer. I don't know. I don't know. What's that? Because I don't think it gives us that peace. <laughs> but that's a good question. <laughs> um, yeah, what will, what will that believer be like? We receive the deposit, which Gary's referring to, the deposit of the Holy Spirit. He is our guarantor of our future with God in heaven. What will it be like for the believer who gives his heart during these days? Does he receive the gift of the Spirit? Gary, I don't have that answer. Maybe. I know people say, well, if the Spirit of God is in heaven, well, remember, God is omniscient. He's uh, omnipresent. He can be all places at all times. What will it be like? I don't know that we clearly have that picture. And perhaps we do. I'll do a little more research and see what I can come up with. That's a good question. That was a good question. Wasn't it a good question? Good question. Good. Good. Um, Okay. Uh, Verse 12. This will probably prompt some more questions. I looked... When he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, 
and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up. And every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? The sixth seal is unleashed, or broken, and upon its breaking, there's a great earthquake. This is the first of three great earthquakes that we're going to read about. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Even man in his futile thinking has um, suppressed even the knowledge of God. You, you read Romans chapter 1 again, right? Even though they know they replace God with a lie. And it's uh, how in our day did evolution be introduced into our education system under our parents' watch, right? Or our grandparents' watch. What was happening with Christianity that we would allow the substitution of the truth for a lie? Well, in the absence of the Holy Spirit, too, remember, the lie will seem very right in many cases. And it could be that they're believing in something completely, uh, like you said, cosmic in nature. Um, and now, what has transpired? Well, there's an interesting, when you look at verse 14, then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved from its place. Now, dimensionally speaking and cosmically speaking, and uh, I, I can't wrap my head around this. That's a big event. Well, it, it certainly is a big event. Something, it's very possible because now, this, listen to what they say. They say, uh, to the mountains and rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and the wrath of the Lamb. Is it possible when the sky is peeled back that it's unveiling something and they're able to see into the eternal realm? And now they can see the one sitting on the throne and they can see and understand that this is in fact the wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of God. And so something very radical. I mean, first of all, an earthquake that moves uh, the mountains and the islands out of their place. That is large scale. 
Something has happened in the cosmos. The sun has been darkened. As black as sackcloth. What, what is that? Uh, the moon like blood uh, red. Uh, let, me, let me read that. I lost my place. Uh, the moon became like blood. The stars of heaven fell to the earth. Is this a meteor shower? What's, what's transpiring? Well, there's a tremendous amount of conjecture that is available for us that we can read and commentators what they're trying to place. What is it that John saw? He saw it happen. What is he seeing? What we know is something on a very large scale is transpiring. And yet, large in terms of the universe, think about it for a moment. How far away is the sun from the earth? 93 million miles away. Okay? It takes light, traveling at 186,000 miles per second. It takes light eight minutes to get to the earth from the sun. That's very far away. And that cosmic event is happening on a very large scale, 93 million miles away. Something is happening. And yet, very specifically, something on the face of the earth is happening. What is it about this little blue planet in the Milky Way galaxy that God has placed man upon it that it has become the epicenter of the entire universe? And the universe in its magnanimous in size, the blue planet, in this cluster of planets around this star we call the sun, the, all the attention of the word of God is right there and right here and right now. Some amazing stuff. And I will tell you, I've studied science for 30 years. And I love this kind of stuff. And I love reading all the guys that talk about that. I mean, I love guys like Chuck Missler over in Idaho at Koinonia House. And all the things. If you read some of the stuff he talks about here, it just blows your mind because he, this is what he, he does. I mean, he's engaged in this environment. Uh, and there's a lot there. Here's what I say. And this is just my encouragement to you. Something tremendous is going to be happening here. Something supernatural. Remember that all things are, all things were created by him and for him, and all things are held together by his word. And nothing that is, isn't. In other words, his word is holding it together. So when he speaks his word, things are going to transpire. And so he will be in charge as he is today, he will be in charge here. And what is transpiring, it will be with the purpose of redemption of mankind. He will be pouring out his wrath, yes, on an unbelieving, disobedient people with the idea and a nation, Israel, whose his focus will be back on to draw them to himself. That's powerful. That's powerful for me. God will go to cosmic level to reach man, to redeem mankind. He's gone to great lengths to reach you. He's gone to great lengths to reach me. And he's going to great lengths to reach others. 
Lord, help us to get on board with him. Lord, I want to get on board with you. And what great lengths might God challenge you to this week to go reach someone with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I see it's 730 and our time is coming to an end. Uh, we've, we've made it to chapter 7. And we'll pick back up in chapter 7 next week. Read ahead. Read chapter 7. Do a little bit of study on your own. Great resources available out there on blueletterbible.com uh, for Revelation and a number of very good studies in there, chapter by chapter. Dave Guzek has a whole chapter. You can uh, read his sermon, if you will, his teaching in there. Great resources. Encourage you to do so ahead of time, and uh, we'll dive into chapter 7. But think about that, and i leave you with this. God's going to go to cosmic levels to reach an unrepentant world, and an unrepentant people. God might call you and I to go to an unusual length even this week. It might mean driving a little further. It might mean messing up your agenda this week. It might mean a number of different... It might mean you talking to someone who has been a perceived enemy. It might mean exercising love. It could be, it could be a plethora of different things. I want to encourage you, listen to the Spirit of God, because He'll prompt you. We live and move and have our being in Him. He dwells in us, and He's leading and guiding us. The footsteps of the righteous are what? Ordered of the Lord. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you, Father, that in our lives you have gone to great measure. I think just of the sheer magnitude God, you took on flesh and became the kinsman redeemer. You identified with us in our humanity. You experienced everything, every emotion, every temptation, every trial that we have. And you were without sin. You are able to help us in our time of need. Oh, Lord, help us grasp the depth and the width and the breadth of the love of God for mankind. It is your desire that none should perish, that all should come to the understanding and repentance in Christ Jesus. Lord, use us this week. Move us this week. I pray that you would challenge us this week in our own walk with you to offer our lives as living sacrifices, to worship you, and to be the conveyors of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, it is good news, and the world desperately needs the gospel. We ask your blessing and benediction in Jesus' name. And everyone said a strong amen. 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 Go in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Have an amazing week in Jesus. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.